Welcome to the Bards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to January 6th with Ivan Raiklin, part one. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. And tonight we're going to listen to a discussion with Ivan Raiklin. And this is an amazing man. He's a, he was a special forces commander. He's now a constitutional attorney. And he has also worked as an instructor at the Defense Intelligence Agency for a number of years. He has been a force to contend with the D.C. that in a typical way of unconventional warfare is very much unseen but very powerful behind the scenes. And I'm very honored to have had him on the show or having him on the show tonight for his discussion, which will give us a lot of insight into the workings of D.C. and most importantly, what's going on with January 6th. Now, this is a two-part interview tonight. We're airing the first part right now. Second part will air tonight in lieu of Fishers of Men. I think you'll find this very eye-opening. It provides a lot of details on the back end of what's going on in this sewer pit we call D.C. And I will tell you, he's a patriot, and he's ruthless in what he does. So I'm really impressed, and I think you'll enjoy this interview very much. Patriots, before we begin, make sure you're getting a great night's sleep. And this is the one thing that we have to ensure of, of where we are because so much of what is going on right now is to disrupt our sleep and to keep us off base. Now, as we know, our favorite place to go shop for sleep products is MyPillow. But there is news. There is a new MyPillow 2.0. You got it. A new reinvented MyPillow 2.0. It's the brand new temperature regulating technology that keeps you comfortable throughout the night. That's right. Mike's patented interlocking fill allows you to adjust your MyPillow to your individual needs. Available in four loft levels, machine washable and dryable, 10-year warranty, 60-day money-back guarantee, and, of course, made in the USA. And it's got a temperature regulation feature on it. No, it's not electric. It's just by the material that has in it. And you're going to love it. Why? Because it's a MyPillow product. So you got to go over there and check it out. It's fantastic. And these MyPillows are on sale. Right now. And I'm telling you, these are like the new greatest thing ever. So head on over to MyPillow.com. You can also go to MyPillow.com forward slash Bards. You want to check out the MyPillow 2.0. And I'm going to bet you that once you see it, you're going to be like, Bards, I can't live without it. Even my bunker has to have one of those temperature regulating super duper pillows. And that's what you want right there. Because if you're going to live in your bunker, as a lot of people think they are, and you're going to have to eat all your canned tuna, which you stocked up for 50 years. And you're not going to have the comfort of a good pillow in your place. You are not getting it right. So head on over to MyPillow.com forward slash Bards. Promo code Bards. You will not be disappointed. And I'm telling you, Patriots, there's also that other little trick that if you want to talk to a real person, all you have to do is dial 800-975-2939, 800-975-2939. Tell them you are a Bards Patriot and your promo code is Bards. And away you go. Well, if you didn't know, the Hunter Biden laptop 
is back in the news. So is the Ukrainian biolabs. That's been all over the news today. And additionally, I came across a post today, which I had missed, but I do want to draw our attention to it. Gateway Pundit has put out a post asking for our prayers because they're going to be releasing some highly sensitive material in the coming days with regards to this administration and his crackhead son. So the uh, pedophile president-in-chief and the controlled by the CCP and his crackhead son are going to have information released on them by the Gateway Pundit. So please keep the Gateway Pundit in their prayers. This is in our prayers. It's big. General Flynn was interviewed now by the Hoff brothers, which is big. You can start to see the moves being made. They've been dropping information all day about the bioweapons labs, what's on the Hunter Biden laptop, the uh, criminality that's there. I mean, we're far beyond just the, the disgusting sex stuff that crackhead hunter does but now we're starting to get into the meat of things and this is very significant because essentially as we're starting to learn the department of defense as you well know by now was instrumental in funding those bio labs in ukraine they're also funding bio labs over near china and they've been funding bio labs around the world so you have to ask yourself why why would the united states possibly be funding bio labs now if you're an idiot and you are or still believe you're, you have your head so buried in the matrix that you believe that, you, that the neocon view of the world is the right way after you get through cauterizing your brain this is actually not the case because we don't have any need to put bioweapons labs all over the world unless we're trying to circumvent u.s law and we are trying to use the bioweapons labs as a blackmail for other countries to ensure that they will continue to use the U.S. dollar. Because at the end of the day, the deep state function of our U.S. military is to protect the hegemony of the dollar and make sure nobody breaks that hegemony so that we can continue to spend endlessly and pass our debt off to other countries. That's the truth. And this is the difficult point that we're going to have to face as a nation is that we have had such rancid corruption within our government in the bowels of D.C., that the concept of a great America as a America strong and superpower across the world is going to have to be put into check with the purpose of why we were that way. And we're going to get into some of this a little bit in the beginning of this interview because I'm going to set the context. I spent some time in the beginning of this, in this conversation with Ivan Raikland tonight to just kind of give you a framing of where his positions were on a number of topics. I think it's important because you don't know him, and I didn't know him that well either. And then he goes into January 6th. And let me tell you, it's going to be a wild ride on January 6th because he's got the details and he's delivering the receipts. And that's the big thing right there. So before we go any further, make sure in all of this crazy insanity, super insane stuff, that you're also stocked up on food. They are going after the food. If you haven't noticed, they're trying to destroy the food supply. And that's why you want to make sure and have a base amount of emergency food supply in case you get into freezing storms that happen in the global warming period here in Texas, or in case you have global warming events that are causing things like hurricanes and, and tornadoes, or you have power outages because of global warming, or because your whole city dropped dead from a cardiac arrest for unknown reasons, except we know it's global warming. Whatever the case may be, you want to have emergency food supplies on hand. Patriots, you can hide your head in the sand or you can face the future head on. Those are your two options. If you want to remain free and self-reliant, despite whatever happens in the world, 
you need to get yourself enough emergency food so you can survive the coming chaos in our society. You can fully expect food shortages if everything breaks down. And if you don't already have enough food on hand, you will regret it. So do yourself a favor and go to preparewithbards.com and save $200 on a three-month emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply. They're the nation's largest preparedness company, and they're knocking $200 off the regular price of their three-month kit to help make it affordable for families who are feeling the pain of inflation right now. At this price, get one kit per person for your family. These kits are in stock, and they ship fast and free. Save $200 per kit when you go to preparewithbards.com, preparewithbards.com. Patriots, I've said it so many times, food security is the foundation of personal sovereignty. So head on over to preparewithbards.com and take advantage of this amazing offer. Do it today. And this endorsement and this advertisement is brought to you by a meat-eating male who believes full-handedly in sticking his hands in the guts of the animal and ripping them out as part of the butchery process. So there you go. All right, Patriots. Ready for this? You're going to enjoy this. Let me introduce to you Ivan Raiklin. Well, Patriots, today we have a really special guest, and this is a man by the name of Ivan Raiklin. He's from Northern Virginia. He is, it's like meeting the guy that has all the details you want to know and that no one's talking about because he's the one working behind the scenes in D.C. He's a constitutional lawyer, and he's been working quietly in and around the halls of Congress to try to affect change. He is a patriot, and Congress actually listens to him because his reputation is significant enough that when he speaks, I, I really think they feel like they're going to be held accountable. And after getting to know him a bit, I would say that's likely true. Ivan, good morning. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, good morning, Scott. <laughs> Great. All right, so let's talk. start a little bit with a background on you so people get to know a little bit about you. Yeah, so, I mean, basically my background as it applies to all this, uh, you know, whether it's constitutional defense, offensive coordination, and deep state marauding stems from a couple of different components. Number one is I spent 25 years in our national security system, uh, whether it be in intelligence, in different capacities, you know, human intelligence, counterintelligence, analysis, teaching analysis, and then from a leadership, I guess, standpoint, and and in my capacity as a detachment commander in the Green Berets, also as a company commander, having deployed in those different capacities, uh, uh, countering ISIS, Taliban, MS-13, Russian aggression. And on the Russian aggression countering component, I've had the opportunity to serve as a uh, military attache, as an assistant army attache in the Republic of Georgia, so in Tbilisi, Georgia. That was in 2007. And then also later on, I guess seven years later, when uh, we may talk about this, the Ukraine crisis team was stood up in the Pentagon. And I happened to serve there as a plank holder uh, in 2014 when we were basically doing, when I say we, the Hussein Biden administration was doing nothing as it applied to Ukraine. And we, we see why that is the case because of the, the corruption and grift. But I happen to be in the National Military Command Center advising on what was going on in Ukraine as it applies to Russian intervention there. Uh, but I'll just pause there. That's kind of my background there. And then on the other component, when I wasn't on active status in those 
you know, in those uh, places, if you will. Then I picked up a law degree focused on national security law and constitutional law. So all that experience in the collective and coming from a family where my parents fled the Soviet Union in the 70s uh, to flee communism, I feel it is my duty to continue to fight communism. And unfortunately, we're in a position where I literally have to do it day in and day out because we've lost so much ground and territory to China, to Russia over the last, specifically the last two years because of their capture of our institutions, particularly at the senior level with their, what I claim and, and call, and I think the evidence supports it. We currently have an executive branch White House, if you will, that's fully captured by the Chinese Communist Party, as we've seen from the Hunter Biden laptop and other indications of a the ambassador to the U.S., China's that is, that's squatting in our White House and defiling it. So now I'm in the fight in a different capacity, trying to do that massive body check that's necessary through the U.S. House of Representatives now against the lawless, illegitimate executive branch. That's a lot, but I just, that's kind of the overview. <laughs> no, it's good. It, it is very good. Let's start with Ukraine, because this is one of these quagmires that I, I'm very anti Ukraine operation. I'm actually very pro-Russia intervention on this space, especially with the level of corruption that's at Ukraine and what that constitutes in terms of money laundering and the whole history there that sits on the Russian border. I'd welcome your input on that. Yeah, so I'm I'm a little different in your, I mean, you, you kind of told me where your stance is. I'm slightly different in the sense that I'm all about pro-American global dominance. And we have, kind of seen that that is we're in a different position globally because of this capture without really firing a single shot by china i think the big play is just to back up and then we'll focus in on ukraine i think the biggest bigger play globally that's going on is if you're not familiar uh you or your listeners we everybody needs to listen in and watch the yuri besmanov video whether it's the short form or the long form known as the KGB's ideological subversion. So essentially in the 60s and 70s, uh, the, the Soviet KGB or their intelligence service essentially came up with the strategic play where they're going to use different methodologies to subvert a culture and a society, the West and the United States. Without going into too much detail on that, imagine that model being trained and advised over to the Chinese Communist Party, which now has more capability than the Soviets did back then, for now China to conduct that ideological subversion of the West and the United States. I just finished writing an overview Substack article on that by subverting different components of our main institutions in the U.S. Big tech, big media, big pharma influence, big companies, right? And then big gov. Uh, based on what I already mentioned about Sheaton being the their ambassador. Now, as it applies to Russia, Russia, I think, is in a position where they would like to, they understand that China's on the rise and essentially has supplanted the, you know, I hate to say, and I hate to say this, in three of the four elements of national power, which is diplomacy, information, military, and economics, I would argue that China has supplanted the United States as the global superpower in three of the four and has really been trying to subvert the fourth one, meaning military, through its 
surrogates to decrease our readiness through the mandates, through the wokeism, right? Another aspect of the ideological subversion, but within our military defense apparatus. So Russia sees that probably is helping China do that. And so they're trying to gain that second status over the United States, or at least get to that third, you know, close third realm. And so the way that they do that is through negotiating deals with China uh, at the expense of decreasing the influence and power of the West and the United States. And that can be done through economic means, uh, because let's be, be honest, like Russia, really their nuclear power is really the only thing that puts them somewhat close to on par with the global superpowers. So they need to influence their economic might, which stems from the natural gas and oil sector. So why not sell your natural resources over to the East, meaning China, for uh, a larger payday versus, and then cutting off the West, i.e. Germany, right? Western Europe, the different oil deals. So I think that's what's playing out. And then while you're doing that, knowing that there is a Chinese Communist Party resident in the White House that's advocating for policies that are in favor of China, why would Russia not intervene in the um, in Ukraine, which has traditionally been it's in, been in its periphery at a time when the United States is at its weakest, you know, especially at the executive branch level because of that deep capture. Uh, I, I think that that's really what's going on. And so from one perspective, going back to your question, I'm not a fan of Russia expanding its influence. I understand what they're doing. It makes sense what they're doing. And the other perspective is, what is the national security objective and interest for the United States to intervene in Ukraine? That is a tenuous argument at best, other than saying, oh, we must repel Russia's influence in the region and their growing, or, or growing uh, influence in the region. So it's I'm, I'm kind of torn up. I'm not fully on board with pro. I'm not going to say that I'm pro-Russian intervention. I'm not. But I do understand where they're coming from. And I'll just pause there. And I kind of want to hear where you want to take this from there. I think these are good points. It's just the issue that we have as we dig into Ukraine. And we start to understand the center, its history, for one, and how far back that goes, even to what we've come to understand is like the Kazarian Mafia. And we start to understand the, the network of criminality that came out of there and how that becomes a hub for so much of the what has become the Western institutions, which includes banking, money laundering, and that we find that trail when we go into the Hunter Biden laptop and we start to look at the relationship with the servers that were even in part of the 2020 election scam. All of those things are hubbing out of Ukraine, Right. If I may make two points kind of on that note is for people to understand, and I'm sure most of your listeners do understand it this way. I just want to reiterate it if that's the case is number one is if we recall back in 2014, failed Vice President Biden was the point man for Hussein in Ukraine. And then from that, what occurred? Some of these influence peddling deals that started off with, hey, uh, Petro Poroshenko, you're going to go ahead and we're like the United States, and this is basically what Biden was saying. 
the United States is going to provide you uh, you uh, capability and improve your economic status right now through unconventional means. And this was reported by Washington Compost in the sense that he offered up unconventional ways to improve their economy out there by sending his son, Hunter Crackhead Biden, that just got out, just got kicked out of the Naval Reserves after his first drill. Tests hot, is thrown out of the reserves after the first drill, and then his next job is to go and support the natural gas sector in Ukraine on the board of Burisma. Meanwhile, like, I mean, I don't know how he got that position other than maybe the argument could be made that, you know, his old factory senses are so, so pristine from his sniffing cocaine days that he could smell out natural gas and oil, uh, lo- you know, new oil drilling locations would possibly be the only uh, subject matter expertise that crack, you know, crack baby hunter uh, could bring to the table in that, you know, it, on the board of Burisma. So bottom line is what I'm getting at is that relationship in Ukraine at the highest levels from failed vice president to current illegitimate CCP ambassador in the White House is to provide for a mechanism to cover up and have some level of control so that that regime does not release all of the corrupt documents to prove what I just said, which is the cover up after cover up after cover of the criminal family syndicate. Uh, on the China front, well, what's to say that there was a, a any sort of different scheme in play with Ukraine? So, right, the U.S. Congress, through the Treasury, sends over the Ukraine money, which now the military-industrial complex has a mechanism to pay off the military-industrial complex at a, at a time or complex at a time when Afghanistan is no longer. You now have Ukraine to fuel that community, and then you bring back ten percent for the big big guy. And then in previous substacks, the question that I ask is essentially. How many percentage points or basis points were also sent back over to Kevin McCarthy via FTX funding, right? 10% for the big guy, whatever percentage points to FTX to then launder back over to um, Kevin McCarthy's PAC, uh, Mitch McConnell's PAC, as well as not you know, the Democrat side of things, Pelosi PAC, etc. So this is essentially, I argue, a whole money laundering scheme of corruption at the highest levels, you know, internationally as well as in the United States. And I hate to say that it's the evidence shows that it's it's it goes to both parties. Oh, I fully agree that we're we're one party, two faces. And I think this is one of the biggest issues we have from a people's representative point of view is the backroom deals and the the money laundering and the super PACs and all of this sort of conniving that goes on with moving money and finances for their self gain rather than being representatives of the people gets to the real rancer of where our system is. The only way we can check that is for us, like the people and us citizens to know what's going on and call them out on it and create that public pressure uh, amidst the institutions that are also captured. And when I say that it's, the media and disinformation institutions to include faux news and newsbacks, right? 
And I, I call them that for a reason. When we're looking at this from the outside, there doesn't look to be any opportunity to make change with these people, in particular when we're looking at a voting system that is so deeply corrupted. We just take Carrie Lake and her latest operation where they, in our face, just denied that election. And you start to see the depth of this corruption that's going from D.C. Right, right. That was absolutely disgusting. The facade of a, you know, of a Trump loss was there had you had a legitimate candidate, right? Because the media created this narrative and all the false smearing that, let's just say, you know, a good chunk of society believed to be true. Now with Twitter files, I think the lemmings and more society realized it was all smears and lies. But when you have a, a horrible candidate like failed Vice President Biden, that veneer of legitimacy is lost. And then you take that into 2022 with Kerry Lake, it's even more the, 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 the divergence of a phenomenal, superb candidate of a Kerry Lake that hadn't been smeared. And then you juxtapose it with an abject failure, probably from birth, the other candidate, and then the whole conflict of interest, and you just multiply and multiply it, it, it couldn't be more clear that that election was absolutely, I'm going to use the terminology, this raw dog stolen and illegally conducted. We have to do something to regain our institutions back. And I guess that's what hopefully in the second part or so, as we identify all the problems, that's my focus is how do we get to a point where we can start doing that necessary body check at the federal and the state level? I kind of want to unpack a number of these pieces because yeah. one of the big concerns that I see among many in particular is this injection. As we learn more and more about this, what we what they call a vaccine, which is quite literally a bioweapon, which now has its footprints to go no, back no, to 2013. Yeah, I'm sorry, I have to interrupt on this one. I will never call it that because it's not what it is. There's a certain definition for what a vaccine is and what we have here that's been injected all across the globe. And you agree with this, but this is so important. The terminology is so important, Scott. We have an emergency use authorized product slash myocarditis maker slash death jab slash, what did I say? Emergency use authorized clot shot heart exploder. Let's call it what it is. Fair enough. I mean, it's a bioweapon. And the thing is, we take this thing back to its origins. We're starting to find the footprints of this in the bowels of the Department of Defense in 2013, working with the pharmaceutical companies, because when they responded to this, they responded to this in the issue of COVID as a countermeasure. And with my experience of having worked in the labs and in around this super soldier project, what I'm seeing here is what the discussions that were going on, which was the the ethics of moving humanity towards a transhumanist state. So to me, this just seems from the way I've looked at this over and over, we've been put into a momentum where somebody up at the puzzle palace has decided it's a good idea that in order to defeat China, we all have to be hybridized as a society to outpace, outmove, outmaneuver, because we're going to hybridize ourselves into this AI nightmare ecosphere that Elon Musk is talking about almost daily these these days. 
Oh, man, that, that's going to be another, like, hour discussion. Let me just briefly say this, just so that you know my perspective on all of this. My last three years before I retired in August 30th of 2022, just about, what, a few months ago, the last three years in, in my military status as a reservist, I was a technology scout for a new organization that was stood up uh, when I got there. It was the 75th Innovation Command, which created a, it was a unit that were made up of technology scouts that were focused, my, my portfolio focused on Silicon Valley in the greater Bay Area on specifically the AI, mixed reality, and gaming companies uh, that were developing technologies that we could engage with, scout out, and see if they wanted to sell their product service into the Army's greater like, procurement systems so that it would improve our capacity to be able to counter our threats, right? The China, particularly Russia to a lesser extent in the AI space. Um, and so that's the perspective I look at some of this. And some of those engagements included, you know, the same guy that ran Y Combinator ended up later becoming the Open AI. It's the uh, 501c3 nonprofit that's co-headed up by Elon Musk. So like those ecosystems I'm familiar with of individuals. And so I, I get the problem here. I'm kind of torn. And one aspect is, that's where technology is going. And whether we like it or not, it's going to be heading in that direction, unfortunately. The big discussion and debate is it's the ethical and moral debate on whether or not we as society want to push in that direction. And that's going to require educating. And, and Elon Musk mentioned this years ago. Like AI, we're going to wake up one day and we're really not going to wake up because AGI, artificial general intelligence, is going to subsume every aspect of humanity. And so your whatever the form that the AGI takes, you know, artificial general intelligence, meaning uh, a machine or computing capability that has more capability than any individual human and probably any, or I should say all of humanity. So then what does that look like for us? Do we, you know, do we fuse like you're talking about with uh, the new technology and new companies that are set up by by Elon Musk? And do we want to go in that direction? Now, he's already testing on pigs and that, you know, Neuralink, the brain, computer interface. So I don't know. It's a discussion that needs to be had. And it's a discussion that needs to be had with our policymakers so that they know that this is no longer on the horizon in the future. This is literally 2023 is probably going to be the year when a, when a lot of this stuff comes to head and we need to come up with solutions on how we're going to address it. Yeah, this is, we'll, we'll have to carry this on further down the road because I want to keep moving on this today, but definitely one of the huge topics that's before us. And I think it links a lot of pieces together in particular with some of the latest research that came out with Dr. Lee Merritt that has established pretty firmly that many of these protocols that are killing people in the hospitals were developed by AI, which now asks a real deep moral question, an ethical question of what was motive and intent. So we, we, have, a, we have a real demanding period here uh, before us, and this all takes us back to Capitol Hill, which by 
everything you're describing to me so far, and this is here and in our previous conversations offline, you've pretty much painted a picture that we're being led by a bunch of buffoons. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would like to say that that is not the case. But in a sense, I mean, let, let's think. I would say bottom line is yes, and here's why. When majority of the work is conducted by staffers, I think most people would agree to that. And then a majority of those staffers consume their information from the legacy and traditional media sources and, you know, and snippets and in tweets and in social media. They're not actually referring to source documents, whether it be peer reviewed, long form journals that are caveated or even court documents or, you know, substantive government uh, sources. Right. And so when you have that and you know they're straight out of college and they're 20 30 years old year olds and they're the ones making des decisions and teeing things up to those members of our government you're already starting off on a lot of false foundational data to then inform your decision making and that's where i think we have the ability as whether you know podcasters like yourself citizen journalists it is incumbent on us to balance out that information landscape with more substantive information you know capital i'm heading into dc right now as we speak that's why you hear a little bit of background noise <laughs> so let's start right there because this is one of the fascinating things that even just this morning you were kind of opening my eyes to some things i have argued that we're literally not really watching even a real, just basically we're watching a show up there because of the city from the outside view is essentially dead. It's like zombie apocalypse hit the place. And until you told me, and I'm going to let you jump in on this in a moment here, you mentioned to me this morning that you could actually get into the Capitol and have free reign to walk through. Nobody knows that. I mean, that's what's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Is that, right. Because <laughs> so, January 6th, it's been like, gulag uh, uh, central up there yeah right <laughs> gulag ar archipelago right <laughs> <laughs> right well it may, no, there may no. be more truth to that than we realize but that's another subject but anyway go ahead yeah so yeah first off yes it's theater it's kabuki theater but the thing is if you want to change the outcome you know uh, the the ending of the kabuki theater story you need to get in the fight and when I say the fight, right, you know, uh, I'm, I'm talking about the most peaceful and patriotic law offensive fight possible. So the way you do that since January 3rd, so 118th Congress was basically began its proceedings on January 3rd at noon under the 20th Amendment. So what happened on that day? On January 3rd, I just guessed that the Congress would be open because those were indications given by uh kevin mccarthy who every you know he was trying to vie for the speakership so i took him for his word and i walked in and, and capitol police said yeah everything's back open and i said great so i go to congressman good's office ask uh, if they have any tickets like in the past you would usually well each member would get at least one ticket to go you know at these big events whether it be the state of the union or what have you you would have one ticket that you, they could use to give to a constituent or whomever to sit in the gallery. 
during congressional proceedings on the House, you know, in the House gallery. So I asked if that was the case. He said yes, but he gave his ticket to his wife, Tracy. Uh, but after two votes, uh, she had to go back down to her back home in Southwest Virginia. And I happened to return to the office and ask, hey, since you're leaving, how about I use your ticket? That would be a phenomenal idea. And so they said, yeah, sure, we're leaving anyway. So I got the ticket to the gallery and then proceeded to the gallery. And I had access to the gallery and, and was there for a few of the votes uh, during that week. Uh, no issues. And then since then, I've been in, in the hallways of the Cannon, Longworth, and Rayburn buildings probably two to three times a week since then. And I'm actually heading in there again today because they have a hearing, I think, they rescheduled, if I'm not mistaken, I think the Oversight Committee is going to be uh, starting their their uh, their organizational meeting. But before I go into that, it's every anybody that can walk in, you don't even need to show an ID. You just go through the security screening. If you're safe, then you go into the, the Capitol, and then you can walk around in the hallways and talk, you know, most of these offices are open so you can you know grab the business cards of who's who and the new congress staffers interact find out you know basically ask your questions this is basically how it was up until nancy took over or i should say until the ccp takeover with the ccp19 virus so it's free reign anybody can go in and out matter of fact i went there with ashley babbitt's mom uh, and spoke with several members uh, last week. I went there along with the number, the person that was the closest witness to the murder of Roseanne Boylan. Also, we went and and spoke with some offices. We, we also with us was an individual that's probably seen more of the fourteen thousand hours of tape than anybody else, if not all of it, and has put together some work. So, uh. Basically, now, now that things are open and now that we know who's on what committees and now subcommittees, we, the people, are now in a position to help hold these people to account by educating what the priority should be. And then if they don't act, then we're going to put them on blast. And luckily, you have me on this show and uh, you know, we have reach at this point with some of the alternate Patriot podcasters to be able to apply the pressure that traditionally has been had with faux news and news vaxes now of the world. Well, guess what? Our viewership in the Patriot community is increasing. So now we have that leverage over members of Congress for them to do the right thing and get to the truth. It is an interesting thing you say there, how important the leverages of the people on Congress, which always speaks to the moral bankruptcy of those people in power. Yep. And that's, that's a stunning it's a stunning position that we're in in a nation that without the pressure of the people to push them into the right direction, they will migrate towards the wrong direction and even <laughs> jump in the lap of Uncle Mao. Right. If I put it this way, if you if if your constituents are silent, that means acquiescence to whatever you're doing. And so if we increase our fervor. Uh, and the amount of interaction that we have, now we have full access to these folks literally all day, every day when they're in session in D.C. and all day, every day when they're back in their home districts 
we have way we're in a position of much more leverage than we were the last two years. And then considering we have a majority Republican uh, uh, party that is interested in doing oversight scrutiny, and I'm going to call it a body check of that lawless, illegitimate executive branch. I mean, I think at this point we need to let as many people know that this is the case so that we go all hands on deck. Like we need to be physically proximate to them now that we have the ability to do so. We don't need to rely on emails and phone calls anymore. And if you can't come out here, then you need to find out who your proxy is going to be, i.e. myself, Ivan Raiklin, or whoever else you know in the D.C. metro area and push them into being in a position to go ahead and be the proxy for whatever cause you're trying to to push for on a particular committee and in, with an individual congressman so they they get to where we need to be which is retaking ground that we lost to the Chinese Communist Party and then their surrogates in the United States also known as the domestic terrorist organization by the name of the Democratic Party and some some elements of the Republican Party. Well I'm glad you said that last because that's the, that is the truth. That's the one that we have to be very careful of this this rhino deep state. Just I want to just pivot on one more point on this, and then I want to get into some other topics related to D.C. And, and what you're involved in. But just to clarify timelines, this opening of the House occurred just on January 3rd this year in 2023, correct? Correct. Absolutely. Because before that, it was closed forever, and then, and then they opened it up for staffers, and then they opened up a little bit for staffers to be able to invite folks. So I was able, I think I was only able to go in there on one or two occasions uh, when it was still closed down. And the one meeting that I had was with, a, I'll, I'll name names here, Dave Summerall from StopHate.com. I highly recommend, if we're going to go into the direction of talking about uh, of J6, that is one of the subject matter experts of January Sixth, and the website where he's basically compiled all his work is stophate.com. The guy's name is Dave Sumrall. He's been on the so, show. He's a great guy. So excellent. So I went with him, as well as uh, Taylor Hansen, who was standing right next to Ashley Babbitt when she was shot and murdered by Michael Bird. The three of us went in there and spoke with Paul Gosar's office uh, right after Kevin McCarthy facilitated and allowed for Nancy Pelosi to remove Paul Gosar off of his committees, we went and spoke with him to essentially say, hey, Ashley Babbitt is not the only person that was murdered that day. There were four individuals or four election integrity rally attendees that were uh, at, at a, two of them murdered and two of them at a minimum were victims of involuntary manslaughter. So the four... Everybody knows Ashley Babbitt. I think at this point, the normies within Con Inc. are now talking about Roseanne Boylan, which Dave Somerall already mentioned that back in it's like June of 2021, if not earlier. And then you have two others, Kevin Greeson and uh, Benjamin Phillips. So a little, I want to kind of talk about those briefly. So Roseanne Boylan was brutally bludgeoned and murdered uh, by a, D.C. Metropolitan Police Officer known as Lila Morris. Lila Morris, in February of 2021, was one of the folks to include, uh, what's his name, uh, Officer Fanone, that was invited to the 
Super Bowl that year and were lauded for holding their ground. Basically, they were lauded for murdering an election rally attendee by the name of Roseanne Boylan. You see how, like, disgusting this cover-up after a cover-up occurs? Oh, yeah. So that's the second murder. The third and fourth. Third is uh, Benjamin Phillips and Kevin Greeson. One of them died from a grenade being launched by U.S. Capitol Police. Where I think we've narrowed it down to uh, six Capitol Police officers that could have been the ones that threw that grenade. And we're going to try to narrow that down fully. We're going to work through the Capitol Police Board as well as the House and the House Administration Committee to get to the bottom of that with the 14,000 hours. And then that's going to be... Uh, uh, so. The, the grenade was thrown and it was in the vicinity of one of the victims and essentially their heart exploded because they had a heart attack because of the, the, you know, the concussion and the explosion of that grenade. So that's involuntary manslaughter. And then the fourth, we're still trying to get to it, but it was also a, uh, a cardiac arrest uh, in that time frame. And Dave Summerall claims that his analysis shows that it was at a minimum negligent homicide because the, those that were around, I believe it was Benjamin Phillips, they notified the law enforcement and they basically did nothing to assist that individual. So it is absolutely embarrassing that President Trump and his advisors still claim and still post on truth that it was only Ashley Babbitt that was killed that day. It is an absolute embarrassment, Scott. And we need to get that story out there because it's been out there for at least since June of 2021. We're almost two years into this. And the cover-ups by the the entire uniparty media has framed it to think that, oh, Officer Sicknick oh, and all these other Capitol Police officers died that day. Meanwhile, that's not true. No one other than four election integrity rally goers died on January 6th. And they didn't just die. They were... There were there were extrajudicial killings by the federal government in the form of U.S. Capitol Police and the D.C. Metropolitan Police. This whole topic of January 6th is nauseating, and I, I, I want to dig into it here because this is one of these things that speaks to such negligence at the minimum, criminality at the worst of our own Congress on both sides that willfully went along with a narrative that didn't do their job to stand up and, and be to, vocal yeah, about to it. To include the minority leader at the time, Kevin McCarthy, who has yet to release the 14,000 hours as I call him a temporary speaker of the house, because like at this point there needs to be calls for his motion to vacate the chair. I get it. He's done some cool stuff. Great. He's done the cool stuff like keeping Adam Schiff and, and Eric Swallowell off of committees and then, you know, some of the other things like the coronavirus subcommittee and the China committee. Guess what? He hasn't done the real stuff, meaning exposing what happened on, on January 6th. And I, hopefully we have an opportunity to go into some details. He, as the minority leader, should have known what the Capitol Police Board's posture was. He was the one that was complicit in only allowing 11 members of his conference and then 11 members of the Democrats to participate in the joint session, not meeting the two-thirds states quorum requirement. Like, he is complicit in what happened on January 6th to include the illegal certification. And I, I hope you give me an opportunity to really step through 
all those components. The floor is yours, sir. Okay, let's kick things off. January 5th. And uh, I want to hear, like, based on all your interviews that you've done, I want to hear some other perspectives. But here's here's what I see occurring. And and I'm going to explain this based on not only my personal experience of being on Freedom Plaza in the VIP tent on January 5th and being at the Ellipse in the VIP area, I think in the second or third row on January 6th, and also having so many people reach out to me with evidence and video footage uh, that's also never been seen before. Also being invited to participate in producing a documentary known as We the Patriots uh, about January 6th of the story of those that didn't violate anything on that day. Also reading through the 850-page report by the Mike Pence, what I call the Mike Pence-Liz Cheney J6 cover-up committee, 850 pages of that report. Reading through a voluminous number of transcripts of the 1,000 witnesses that were interviewed and subpoenaed by this J6 cover-up committee. Also reading the pre-buttle that was written by the House administration minority, uh, Jim Banks and Jim Jordan. Also, uh, I, I mean, basically all of that combined and all the reporting and, and, and stuff put out by Dave Summerall and Gary, Gary McBride, uh, another individual, and Tommy Tatum and all these other folks that have been looking and doing the deep dive of January 6th, as well as sitting in and reading through the court filings of some of the more, you know, bigger cases, whether it be uh, uh, the Oath Keepers trial, currently the Proud Boys trial, uh, other cases such as Cowboys for Trump, right? I've been monitoring this pretty closely, maybe not as close as as some of the folks I mentioned, but in the collective, I think I probably have the, the best strategic view of what likely occurred that day. And this is what I, I kind of want to lay out based on what I just said is, is my evidence to support what my hypothesis is on January 6th. And it's as follows. I am, I have high confidence that it is very likely Nancy Pelosi set things up so that the Capitol would be the the security posture of the Capitol would be Spartan and sparse so that she could use her surrogates to facilitate the unlawful entry onto the Capitol grounds and then into the Capitol so that the world would not see on C-SPAN one two and three uncensored the clear illegal certification of the 2020 election during that objection period. That's my top line assessment. And then now I'm going to go into uh, deep analysis, but before I do, I want to kind of pause and see if, if that makes sense. Oh, we're in accord right here. This is absolutely hundred okay. percent. I, I just want to say that as we go forward here too, as we dig in, I'll be interested to hear how you also see the interplay with the FBI and their, little army of informants and uh, instigators as they've. Yep. So keep going. Yeah. Cause that, that is a big question before I go into deeper analysis on that. I've always argued that it is very unlikely that the FBI had a role on that day. Uh, I'm saying, I'm talking about on that day up until the breach occurred after the breach, then there's it's unclear. 
but I'll explain why I think it was not FBI involvement. Um, but it was probably more, it's possible. I could be wrong on this, but like all roads lead for me. My evidence shows that it was a function of the house sergeant at arms and Nancy Pelosi, her staff and her, uh, and then some of the external surrogates that they used to facilitate this unlawful entry. And that's why I say, and then the other piece of evidence is, is because the FBI started to investigate and then pulled back on some of those people that they started to investigate. And I'm talking about Ray Epps. So let, before we go into the details, let me kind of set the frame of where we're going to, I want to do the, like the outline overview. Okay. So key players that we need to understand and know about. So you have Nancy Pelosi as the speaker of the house is the judge, jury, executioner, chief law enforcement official, literally the <clears throat> chief executive officer of anything and everything that goes on on the house side of the Capitol. Understanding that and knowing that the joint session constitutionally is conducted in the United States House. Everything that goes on, right or wrong, is the responsibility of the Speaker of the House. And knowing this, how about you put your hat on as Speaker of the House, and here's what's going on. A little bit of context in the run-up to January 6th. So, my role going into January 6th, I happened to observe the illegal, illegally certified election, went up to Philadelphia to observe what was going on up there. When, you know, and started kind of like assess what's going on in all the different six states, took to Twitter, articulated where things were going. I'm not sure who was following me, but 200 million impressions later and three or so retweets by President Trump later, I would suspect that Nancy Pelosi and her staff are probably reading some of the work that is being that I'm putting out is being retweeted by President Trump. And as part of that, I am communicating with members of Congress to explain to them that they have the legal, moral, ethical duty to object to electors from the contested states because they don't have to agree with any of the foreign influence. They don't have to agree or like learn about the manipulation of the machines, the software. Of They don't even have to agree with, with any of the allegations of fraud. All they have to do is agree with the fact that state X, meaning Arizona, Georgia, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Nevada, conducted their election not according to that state's election law. If they can agree with me on that, which all of them would, right, because that's true, because they use CCP-19 measures to change their electoral process. So if they can agree with me on that, then they can look at the Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 of the, the U.S. Constitution and agree that the state legislature did not out did not uh, allocate their electors in the manner in which that state legislature, through their election law, wanted to allocate. And so we were getting to a point on January 5th where 147 members and growing by the minute had publicly stated that they were going to object to at least one, likely two, and possible, possibly three states triggering a contingent election. And on the Senate side, you had 12 members of the Senate that publicly stated that they were going to do the same 
and growing by the minute. So if you're knowing this as Nancy Pelosi and your staff, and you're trying to make sure that this does not occur, you have to spring to action to come together with a plan, wouldn't you? That's just, I mean, that's an assumption that I think many people would agree with. I mean, would you agree with me, Scott? 100%. Especially knowing her behavior, because she's not one to sit idle. She never has been. And that's that leads to some other behaviors later on. But in particular, Nancy's always been in the offensive role and sees herself as enormously powerful to influence directions of politics in the United States. Correct. So with that framing going on on January 5th in the morning, those are kind of the numbers that I was tracking. Well, I have a couple things that were public is that we saw a memorandum being sent out by the mayor of DC stating that the, the executive branch of the federal government is not to deploy any support, whether it be National Guard or any you know, DHS, DOD, D, DOJ, uh, law enforcement in support of the events of January 6th. That was in a tweet by mayor of D.C. So the mayor is saying no, no support from executive branch. The Capitol Police Board, which consists of the architect of the Capitol, appointed by the president, which was not really involved in any of these law enforcement discussions, as the transcripts show. Uh, you have the Senate Sergeant at Arms, who was the president of the Capitol Police, Police Board at the time. You have the House Sergeant at Arms, Paul Irvin. And then you have the U.S. Capitol Police Chief, Stephen Sun, who just wrote a book. By the way, I read it, and it informs my opinion on this. Uh, he just released it earlier this month. So those four members of the Capitol Police Board, uh, by the way, the chief of Capitol Police is not a voting member. And then when the architect of the Capitol is not part of the, vote, the, the process for decision making, you're left with the two sergeants at arms that decide on what they're going to do in terms of securing the Capitol on January 6th. See where this is going? Absolutely. <laughs> so <clears throat> if they're the ones that are advising that no additional support is necessary on January 6th, one, because of optics, and that optics quote is because Nancy Pelosi doesn't want the optics of National Guard, nor does the D.C. mayor, because guess what? The jurisdiction of the Capitol Police Board is not only on the Capitol grounds, but it's also an extended jurisdiction as outlined in Title III of the U.S. Code, which extends beyond over to Union Station to the north, west, uh, almost to the Washington Monument, and then south to the stadium. Why is that important? Because it extends beyond the DNC and the RNC, where the pipe bombs were placed. Let's, let's hold that thought for now. So, on the plot January... Thickens. Yeah, yeah, so January 5th in the morning is, is when that was statement was put out by the mayor. And then at noon, I've had two people on Telegram. This was months after January 6th reach out to me and say, you know, as, as they saw pictures of, uh, what's his name, Jake Jacob Chansley, you know, barrel-chested freedom fighter with the horned hat, funny hat. As they looked at pictures and saw that he was standing with, None other than Nancy Pelosi's son-in-law, 
I'll call him Michael Pelosi Voss. So, a couple people reached out to me, are willing to testify. Before, let's say, for example, the House Administration Committee, subcommittee on January 6th, to explain that they saw Nancy Pelosi's son-in-law at noon sitting and talking and meeting with John Sullivan at the W Hotel in the lobby. Let me say that again. Nancy Pelosi's son-in-law is meeting with the BLM Antifa Insurgents USA guy, John Sullivan, who had been used by the Democrats in the past during the summer of love, the previous summer, to conduct that Insurgents USA activity of BLM black bloc instigating insurrectionist activity. So my question to Michael Voss is, what did you guys talk about? Were you the cutout for Nancy Pelosi and her daughter, Alexandra Pelosi, who was in the Capitol on January 6th that day, documenting a movie for HBO? Was Alexandra Pelosi the you know inside coordinator and you, Michael Voss, the outside coordinator for the breach? And you coordinated with Paul Irving, the House Sergeant at Arms, to facilitate those entry? Well, guess is, this is what I'm thinking happened. Michael Voss meeting with John Sullivan communicated the plan, which was, John, you're going to form a team to conduct the inner breach of the Capitol on the following day. You're going to communicate. You're either going to, A, recruit someone that, that you know to coordinate the outer breach, or probably more likely, you're going to contact and communicate with a guy by the name of Ray Epps so that he can uh, help coordinate the external breach. And guess what happens later that day on the 5th at Freedom Plaza in the southeast corner? You see Ray Epps communicating. You've seen these videos, right, Scott? Attack the Capitol tomorrow. We're going to attack the Capitol. You saw that? Oh, yes. And guess who's standing right next to Ray Epps in his schmog? little Palestinian scarf. Is that Pelosi? A guy son? by the name of John Sullivan. Oh, there we go. So let me re recap. John Sullivan meets with Nancy Pelosi's son at noon. And then he's later that day with Ray Epps standing right next to him, coincidentally. So did they talk about attacking the Capitol and then Ray Epps was going to be the outer breach team leader? And then John Sullivan was going to be the inner breach team leader? And so when you read Ray Epps' transcript, and he's asked by Adam Kinzinger and company, which are providing top cover for him via their surrogate New York Slimes in that puff piece. They ask Ray Epps, did you communicate? Have you ever communicated with the FBI or law enforcement run up to January 6th? And he responds with no. Let's assume he's telling the truth. Does he have to communicate with the FBI or law enforcement, i.e., Paul Irving, the House Sergeant at Arms, in order to be for him to know what the plan is. If he's getting the information from John Sullivan, who got the information from Alexandra Pelosi slash Michael Voss, the son-in-law of Nancy Pelosi. No, he's being truthful because his direction, I argue, came from Nancy Pelosi's family members. Now, Let's go into a little bit more detail. How about 
Who is Nancy Pelosi's chief of staff? Her name is Terry McCullough. Is there a transcript of the J6 committee of them interviewing her? I would like to see that. I would like to see what questions were asked of her. And if she was involved in some of that decision-making process of what I argue to be what occurred. Of the interaction between Pelosi and family with John Sullivan and Ray Epps. The other person to ask is an individual by the name of Jamie Fleet, who happens to be a man, who has a dual role. Jamie Fleet is the was the staff director for Zoe Lofgren, the chair of the House Administration Committee, which is the committee that provides oversight over the House Sergeant at Arms. See how this plays in? And she's also dual head, or he, Jamie Fleet, is dual headed as a senior advisor to Nancy Pelosi. Okay? So, in the transcript of Jamie Fleet, it is seen there that it almost as though any time that Jamie Fleet was asked about the security posture in the meetings that they had on January 5th and 6th with the, the, the individuals that I mentioned, Jamie says, oh, we were just relying on the advice of law enforcement, meaning due to optics, we're not going to have additional support, meaning they are intentionally blaming law enforcement for the deliberate decision, I argued, that was made in order to leave the U.S. Capitol completely uh, wide open so that their surrogates, John Sullivan and Ray Epps, could facilitate the external breach, Ray Epps, right? bring in enough people with a scaffold commander as reported by Darren Beatty's revolver. Once they had enough people on the outside on the Capitol grounds, that's when John Sullivan and his team started to break into the Capitol so that they would come in with the facilitated, oh, I don't know, opening of the doors by House Sergeant at Arms and maybe even Senate Sergeant at Arms, Michael Stenger, so that there would be that breach. Now, how was it even more possible for the breach to occur. Not only did you have those two surrogates, I argue, but three minutes prior, I believe the timeline states that 1257 was when the Capitol Police Chief, Stephen Sun, whom I argue was a white hat just trying to protect the Capitol, who had advised that there needed to be additional support on the 6th, but he was declined by the House and Senate Sergeants at Arms at the advice, I'm sure, of, of Pelosi on the House side and maybe McConnell on the Senate side. So Steve Sun, the Capitol Police chief, had to deploy his Capitol Police officers and divert them from the Capitol Police grounds down to the DNC and the RNC when they got the report that the pipe bombs were being placed. Question, who is in the, posi who is in the position to most benefit for two pipe bombs to be placed at the DNC and the RNC as they know that the Capitol Police Chief will have to deploy their uh, officers and then make the U.S. Capitol even more, I'm trying to think of a better term, Spartan, sparse, or unprotected, I should say. That's probably the better term. Unprotected. I argue it's Nancy Pelosi so that she could have this framing of 
an insurrection and a breach into the Capitol. Oh my gosh, we have to focus all of our media's attention on none other than this breach and divert them from the objections that are about to take place for enough members of the House to object for a re-election. Patriots, that is the end of part one, a bit of a cliffhanger. And next part will air on the Bards FM time in one hour. This is an amazing, actually it's about two hours, sorry. This is an amazing interview. Ivan Raikland has really done the research here. And he's, as you will hear in the second part, he's going to talk about using his method of link analysis. He's going to talk about a number of other things, and he's going to get into a lot of where he thinks the FBI plays in, which is important. I had not heard this approach, this way of framing it. The thing is that he has the receipts. When I say that, he's done the reading, done the research. He's literally done the the mapping out of all the players. And when we get into the second part, you're going to hear the intricacies of the congressional rules and the the rules of the Speaker of the House and why this all plays together. It's really amazing. Again, this is he is presenting this as his theory, but as someone who has done an enormous amount of research, literally read thousands of pages of documents, books, etc., and one of his advising people on this has also gone through nearly all of the 14,000 hours of footage. So we are dealing with a crime that's, it's, I don't even think treason covers it. I don't, I don't think it's sufficient. And I, and you know, as much as I want to see proper justice, I'll be honest, I don't want it quick. I want it slow, long, and painful for every one of these, here it comes, assholes that were, that have affected us and tried to take this country over. This is unbelievable what we've witnessed here because this is the, this is the government of the people that as we will get into more and more in the second part of this has willfully turned its allegiance to China. Think about that. Before we pray, Patriots, one real quick note. I didn't mention at the beginning, there is no kilted Christian tonight. Duncan is fine. I get people asking me if he's alive. Actually, I should tell you this. Duncan's dead. He froze to death, but they've given him an mRNA shot, and now he's been revived as a living zombie, as a transhuman, and he's doing great. No, I'm kidding. Um, he is He's dealing with um, a lot of cold weather and intermittent internet and they and they has no cell signal barely has some but not much so he's expecting to be back tomorrow just so you know and um he will be resurrected with the nanotech and he will become a new superhuman tomorrow night hopefully i don't know if superhumans wear kilts patriots with all of that said before we close out let's pray father we want to thank you for this voice that we have tonight, Ivan Raiklin, who truly, not only has he served the nation, but he's truly been serving the purpose of truth in a very convoluted and chaotic space. And so much praise to him for wanting to follow the facts and brutally following the facts, whether people like it or not, but holding to the facts that he can assemble to ultimately build the case to bring proper justice and know exactly who the evildoers were. 
this is an example, Father, as you have even put on my own heart of who is your enemy, and he has built the map. And this is an example for everyone to witness and to to participate in, to understand that this sort of detail and accuracy is what it takes now for us to truly resurrect justice in this nation, to follow the truth and ultimately deliver justice to those that truly deserve the justice. So we pray for Ivan Raiklin. We pray for all the work that he continues to do and the, and the risks that he continues to take and the voice that he has and may it continue to resonate with the many. And may these interviews tonight continue to inspire people. And most of all, Father, we pray for those of January 6th that are still being held illegally, incarcerated from their families, charged with ridiculous crimes by a, an, an, an illicit, a devious, a conspiratorial evil that is made up of psychopaths and pedophiles that is doing everything it can to protect itself by incarcerating the witnesses and blaming them for the crimes that these pedophile freak psychopaths have done themselves. Father, there is a hand of your justice here that we pray for. Not only are these people derelicts in scriptural terms, but they truly need a millstone to be cast into the ocean. And just so you know, and you know my heart, you already know what I'm going to say. I volunteer to tie that damn millstone on their neck and throw them in the ocean for them. These criminals need to be punished. And so, Father, however this leads, whether it is our hand or the hand of justice of this nation, we pray that that hand will be executed and that the, those that have suffered the crime of being in, in illegally car, incarcerated, may their hearts be healed and may they hear our prayers to continue to give them strength as they endure this difficult time. Guide us all, Father. We say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Keep your prayers up for all those in J6. Keep your prayers up for people like Ivan Raiklin. And we will continue this conversation in about 90 minutes. And we will have part two of January 6th with Ivan Raiklin. Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. And boy, do does this world need us. We're at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy this land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue this enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I will see you tonight or shortly, in about 90 minutes for Fishers of Men and Part 2. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe, to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal, but that is a dangerous, 
defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made. Therefore, they can be solved by man. And man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable. And we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor, will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. We push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath. <laughs> 